Let's hold up those Bibles. I'm a child of God. Have in my hand a powerful word of God. It can heal broken hearts, save man's soul, heal people from cancer. So, Lord Jesus, today, would you speak to me? In Jesus' name, amen. Give a high five, pound your neighbor. Well, Jim set the pace for me last week. He said he was running long on preaching, and it was about this time. So uh, I guess I'm done. <laughs> Get out of here. It ain't happening. All right. Now, but I do want to start off before we get to the outline, before I get into really what I want to say. I want to ask you one question. If River Oaks Christian Church closed its doors and did not exist as a church in this community, would anyone miss us? Would anyone even notice that we're not here? I want you to let that mill around in your in your thought process for a minute. <clears throat> would anyone miss this church and would anyone even know that we're here? See, the reason that's an important question is because how we answer it is of utmost importance. We enter a new year. We enter a new year. We're in the process of finalizing our leaders' planning session for the year. Um, we're a little bit behind in getting that finalized, but I had a granddaughter born, and I haven't been here. And uh, did I show pictures of, of Kelsey? Y'all of you get okay. If you haven't seen pictures, let me know. I, I, I've still got a few. That, in fact, I have one on my cell phone. I'd be glad to show you any time. Just, just let me know. Most beautiful baby I've ever seen. More beautiful than any baby I've ever seen. You wouldn't want me to say it any other way, would you? <laughs> but I've really, I've really wondered about us as a church in 2008. And you know, people come, people go, people stick with you, people don't stick with you. Four areas that we must improve in. We must be about that vision statement over there. And it is? Seek and save the law. We must be about that business. Why? Because God commanded us to be about that way. <laughs> if you are a Christian and you claim to be a Christian, then you have no, it's not an option. The second thing that we must be about as a church group is we must be about loving each other. We just got to love each other. I just love being here with you guys. I love watching you come in and you, you haven't seen each other for a week and like a bunch of kids. Do the hug and howdy. Dan's found out when we started that hug and howdy thing and now he tells you, okay, why don't you shake a hand? He knows I'm going to be playing the guitar for at least seven minutes. Because they won't, they won't quit. And it's not just Geneva I'm seeing. Most of you are letting her take the blame, but most of y'all are still walking around. That's right. But you know, that's what family's about, isn't it? 
I haven't seen you in a while. I need to, need to get caught up a minute. I love hugging people, don't you? You know, we live in a culture that's uh, anti-hug. Don't hug people. It's uh, Somehow there's harassment attached. But we're a hugging group around here, so if you don't want to be hugged, we'll just hold your hands out. We won't hug you. We'll give you high fives on your hands there. Move them up a little bit. You know, if you want medium fives, we'll give those to you. If you want low fives, hold them down here. If you want a side five, just hold it out there. If you don't want any five, just cover your head. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> but we want to love you. We just want to love you. And it doesn't matter about your past. It absolutely has nothing to do with your past. Because we've all got a past we'd just soon forget. Can I get an amen to that? <laughs> we've all got a past that we've made mistakes in. Can I get an amen to that? Now, the good news is Jesus has covered all of that past. Can I get an amen? Problem is, is that we keep carrying the load back off the cross. We go over there and leave it, and then we put it back on and carry it off. Let's leave it this time. This is our year to leave it at the cross. Amen. We've hurt people. They've hurt us. We've been hurt. Oh, my gosh. There are all kinds of Satan. Satan uses everything in the world, every trick in the book to get us to not love each other. But let's beat him at, let's beat him at his game and let's love each other. In spite of who we might think we are or whatever. Amen. Can we do it? So we've got to outreach, we've got to inreach, and then we've got to pray. Boy, Jim was so, like I say, Jim and I hadn't talked. Uh, I didn't have any idea what he was going to say last week, but I was so grateful what he said because he introduced the fact that we must be a praying church. See, there's something powerful. I preached a whole series about corporate prayer last fall. We have got to be about that business of corporate prayer. We're, we're developing a dual-purpose room back here. We'll, we'll pray in it, but it also is going to have to use some education in it, but that's okay, too. I would rather use all of our rooms in a multi-purpose way than to go into debt and try to build a big building somewhere. Let's just use everything we got here and eat it up. <laughs> but we're going to have a dual room back there in that prayer. We may be using it for uh, education, and that's fine for a time, and we'll pull a table out, and we'll go back into the prayer room. I'm hoping to have people at least two every Sunday who are back in that room praying for what happens out here. Because when we take those to the throne of God, great things will happen. We want to see the watery grave of baptism move. We want to see people come to the Lord. Then we need to start to pray for people to come to the Lord. We need, war we need workers. Then we need to pray for workers. Well, preacher, how do you, what makes you think we're not doing that now? Well, you may be. But I'm talking on a corporate level, on a group level, on an understanding that we're all on the same uh, 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 page. We're all in the same area. We're moving in the same direction. Amen? Because that's what it's all about. That's what church is about. I like what the video said last Sunday night. It said, when, when you stub your toe, the rest of the family needs to feel it. That's good. That's how connected we need to be. So when, the re when you stub your toe, the rest of us know that you stubbed your toe. Okay? It's going to take some work. We're not perfect. Oh, my goodness. Oh. And as we begin to do this, guess who's going to increase his activity against all of us? Oh, Satan will. But recognize who the enemy is. Amen. Recognize who the enemy is. And it's not each other. It's, it's the devil. But we need to beat him in his game. And Jesus said, if you have fought with a brother, you go to that brother and you work it out with that brother or that sister. If there's something that's been said that hurts your feelings, then let's, let's get that straightened, ironed out quicker the better. Amen? Don't let it fester. Don't let it fester. 
It's like having that big old knot in your carpet at home and nobody says anything, but they walk around and step over it, but nobody ever says anything about it. We've all got them. But let's level them. Easy to do through prayer. Amen. Easy to do. So, I go back to my question. If River Oaks did not exist to close its doors today, would anybody notice? And would anybody care? Not sure. Not sure. But let's make sure that we know for sure. For eight hours, he prepares his uniform and his mind for duty. Every day of his duty, he gets a fresh haircut. And when he is on duty, he will not vary from his command a single step or a single second, no matter the weather, no matter the hour of the day, no matter the day of the week, no matter the number of people watching, no matter the matter, uh, no matter if no one is watching at all. You've seen his picture. He is the unflinching guard, the sentinel, a member of the, of the 3rd United States Infantry Regiment of the United States Army, the men and women who guard the tomb of the unknowns at Arlington National Cemetery just outside our nation's capital. For every minute of every day since July 2nd, 1937, the old guard has stood guard. And there is nothing casual about the work uh, and, and the way the work is done at the Arlington Cemetery. It, 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 when the sentinel comes on duty, he walks exactly 21 steps across the tomb, representing the 21-gun salute, the highest honor given to any military or foreign dignitary. When he turns, he faces the tomb and remains in that position for 21 seconds. He turns again and walks 21 steps across the tomb. When he completes the short journey, he stops, turns toward the tomb, pauses for 21 seconds. Over and over, the sentinel re repeats that process until his shift is complete. When the job is done well, it is nearly impossible to discern any movement of the so young soldier's head or weapon. With an average age of only 22, these young enlisted men and women, whose ranks range from private first class to specialist, prepare for weeks to take a turn at the tomb. They will be assigned to groups by their height. No more than two inches will separate those who take responsibility for duty shifts. And yet, somehow, all of the sentinels seem taller, straighter, and a bit prouder. Part of the reason for the ramrod appearance uh, would be from the uh, shoes the soldier wears. Though they are standard military issue boots, the heels and soles are built up a bit, not for protection from the weather, but to aid in the walking, the turning, and the distinctive clicking of the heels. Strict training ensures that the guard will be unflinching and unwavering in duty. No matter the heat of day, no matter the driving rain of December or the frozen snow of February. And most importantly of all, the guard will remain posted and the steps will remain perfect. Even when there is not another soul in sight, when no one is watching to see if the sentinel remains diligent at midnight. And let me say something about the members of the 3rd United States Infantry Regiment of the U United States Army. If you want to join this group, then you'll have to learn to walk in a new way. To walk in the same way as the rest of the humans who visit Arlington National Cemetery is to give up the privilege of walking with the old guard. To miss a step, a single step, when it's your turn to guard the tomb is, is to miss the opportunity to stand with those who stood before you. To understand the motivation behind your duty is to miss the point entirely. 
For this is the point. Inside the tomb of the unknowns at Arlington Cemetery are men who gave their lives for the freedom that we know. Surrounding the tomb of the unknowns are more than a quarter of a million graves of others who gave their lives in service to this country. And around that single cemetery are thousands upon thousands of cemeteries in the United States and around the world where the bodies are reminders that our freedom isn't free at all. Instead, it came from a, with a fierce, terrible price tag and such sacrifice is worth a 24-hour guard, seven days a week, 12 months out of the year. You just don't walk the same when it's your turn to guard the tomb. Neither should we. Those of us who carry the guard for the name of Jesus Christ. We're embarking on a new year. Our minds are drawn to new commitments or even fresh versions of previous commitments. And whether you hope for 2008 uh, whether that hope includes a better way of balancing your budget or simply finding less of you to balance on the bathroom scales. Almost everyone is in a mood to consider change as the new year is upon us. The challenge from the Bible would encompass all that change. To put it simply, the Bible's message is we're expected to walk in a different way. Once we follow Christ doesn't matter if a crowd is watching, as is the case this morning. It's easy to walk the walk when we're in this group, isn't it? But it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if it's pleasant or difficult. It doesn't matter about the circumstances, physically, emotionally, or spiritually, the strain that, you, that you're under. Walking as a follower of Jesus requires a different step than the rest of the world. And sometimes, I'm afraid, it requires just as much work as if we were members of that select force that guards the tomb of, of the unknowns in Arlington. Turning your Bibles to the book of Ephesians. We're going to look at several passages throughout the book of Ephesians this morning. The message from Ephesians is incredibly relevant. It's despite the fact that the words were written some 2,000 years ago, the city was a huge city. It was a transportation hub. The culture of Ephesus had several similarities with our culture. Though their technology was different, their weak points were the same. They had a tendency to like sinful practices. They were materialistic to a point of overkill. They had sexual practices that left nothing to the imagination, and nothing seemed to shame them. And yet, right in the midst of, of a very difficult uh, environment, a church sprang up. As Paul ministered to this small group of Christians, it became obvious that people were hungry for something real. They wanted something more than what their money could buy, more than what their lustful imaginations could create. And as they listened, as they considered the life of Jesus, and as they changed their ways, their number began to grow. I believe with all of my heart that the message of the book of Acts is of the first century church is as the people grew in quality, so the church grew in quantity. I believe that's the same message for River Oaks in 2008. As the people's lives grow in quality, then the quantity becomes a moot issue because they will come based on what they see happening in your life and in my life. 
So many people in Ephesus came to Christ and began changing their way of living. The economic core of the city was threatened. Change so dramatic came to the town that a riot involving 25,000 or more people broke out with the writer of this letter, Paul, being the focus of that fury. If you want to read about that breakout, go to Acts chapter uh, 18 and 19, and there's the story in full. But eventually, long after he had to rush out of Ephesus in order to save his life, Paul wrote his church with a simple instruction for what he expected of them. He urged them to do what you're probably hoping to do as a new year dawns. And much of what I'm hoping happens at our church. He called them to a new way of living. Or as the guards around the team of the unknown soldier might say, to a new way of walking. Chapter 4 in the book of Ephesians in verse 1. I, therefore, the prisoner in the Lord, urge you to walk worthy of the calling you have received. Now, I want you to take a moment and break this verse down with me. Paul was in and out of prison a lot during the last years of his life, and he may have been in prison when he wrote this particular letter. Even if he wasn't, he was becoming accustomed to a life as a prisoner, and he had been imprisoned only because he preached the gospel of Jesus Christ, unlike our friend... Uh, <laughs> you ever have that happen to you? Just go along there and oh, oh. It's more than a senior moment, I'm afraid. Old timers. That's what I get for not making a note, isn't it? <laughs> About two pages from now, I'll remember who it was. And I'll throw it at you and you'll go, huh? Okay. Let's just move on. Oh. oh, well. As a prisoner, Paul was paying a dear price for his faith. He urged others to live a life that he would live if only he were free to be among them. He urged them. He begged them. Remember when Jacob heard that Joseph was dead. Remember when Isaac heard that his mother had died. The Hebrew word that matches the word Paul is using here when he says, I urge you, is that same word they were using. It's a word picture of people breathing deeply, gasping for breath because the news is so urgent. Because life has changed so much. It's an emergency of emotion. It's the same word Luke used to describe the way Paul, uh, Peter preached when the Holy Spirit arrived at Pentecost with the wind of God bearing down on the city and with miracles happening all around. Peter urged the people to pay attention. Jesus was the Messiah. You crucified Him, but He loves you and He wants you. Would you accept Him today? That was the message that Peter preached. And Paul says, nearly breathing deeply in Ephesians 4.1 with the desperation of it all, he says, I urge you to walk in a way that honors Christ. He says, I'm begging you to do this. Ever been called to jury duty? It's a summons or an invitation, I should say, to participate in the judicial process within our country. We're one of the few countries that still have that process. However, this invitation is perhaps more a calling. <laughs> and it's not really an invitation that leaves an option for whether you're going to go or not going to go. 
But nevertheless, you show up for jury duty, and that's exactly the concept that Paul used when he asked the church in Ephesus to live a life worthy of their calling. It's an invitation to participate in the Christian lifestyle. But it's not an invitation that provides an opportunity for us to decline. That statement, Luke 19.10, seek and save the lost, that is a command of God. That is a command of God on your life and my life. And when we don't do that, we are in disobedience to who? To who? Out loud? Everybody? God expects us to walk and to live in a Christ-honoring way, the same way a judge expects you to show up when he invites you to his courtroom. Before we consider how we might live in 2008, we can't miss a foundational point of the Bible's message of how we come to be included in God's invitation to walk a certain way. First of all, the way you live has nothing to do with the way you were saved. The way you live has nothing to do with the way you were saved. Jump to Ephesians chapter 2. Let's look at verses 8 through 10. Ephesians chapter 2. For by grace you are saved through faith, and this not of yourselves, it is God's gift, not from works so that no one can boast. For we are his creation, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared ahead of time so that we should walk in them. Paul is always careful to remind us that we're saved by grace. Saved by grace. And by no other means are we saved. You can't avoid enough sin, bake enough pies, make enough hospital visits, read enough Bible, give enough money to be saved. You just can't do it. You can't good your way into heaven. You can't walk in a way that honors God and hope that'll be enough to walk your way into heaven. If we haven't accepted the gift of grace, there will be no grace at all. With Christmas just passed, I suppose there's, this room here is filled with people who received all kinds of electronic gadgets as Christmas gifts, uh, MP3s, PDAs, DVDs, cell phones, personal computers. Uh, how tragic the woman whose uh, little son lost his cell phone throws him in the oven and turns on the heat. And she can't understand why all the rest of her children were taken away from her custody. Hello? She said, well, I've used the oven treatment before. Glad you know my mother. Can you imagine throwing a kid in an oven and turning it on? What's she do when he starts screaming? Somebody should put her in the oven. How does it feel? All right, or like Dr. Phil says, looking in the, you know, turn the little light on and look in the glass of your oven and go, how's that working for you? <laughs> yeah. Boy, preacher, you're cruel. Whew. Well, you know, if we, if we re repaid punishment with punishment, our crime rate would probably go down. If we had swift judgment, as the Bible describes, our crime rate might go down. But we receive these gifts. And if you received such a gadget this Christmas, it was free. It didn't cost you anything. You didn't have to pay taxes on it. You didn't have to wait in line in an overcrowded store to buy it with a group of people that said, we'll check you out right now with their lights. I never will forget that Walmart commercial. They were blinking their lights to some tune and had, uh, had a, a checkout person at every register. That's a lie. That's false advertising. I probably should sue them and retire a rich man. 
You didn't have to pay for shipping. You didn't have to wrap the gift. You only had one goal in that transaction. That was to receive it and accept it. That's all you had to do. And we did that willingly, didn't we? We did that without any reservations. And we don't have to have a big theological discourse to understand the concept of receiving a Christmas gift. It's easy. It's wonderful. It's common. But that's the point. Receiving the gift of salvation, receiving the ultimate Christmas gift is easy. It's wonderful. It's even common. Millions and millions of people believe that Jesus was the Christ, the Messiah, the Savior. But there's a big step between receiving Christ and living a life that's worthy of the gift as there is in receiving an MP3 player and actually figuring out how that crazy thing works. A person with a personal computer who takes the time to learn how to use it effectively is a completely different animal than a person with a personal computer who is just flabbergasted by the thing. I can't turn it on. Logan Allison, before he left, went to college out in, in, in Oregon. He used to he worked for Dish Network, I think it was, and he would uh, customer service. And I said, so what do you do when they call in? He said, well, most of the people, I simply ask them, first of all, to go turn the power on the box. And that usually solves the problem. So they turn the TV on and there's not a there's not reception, there's nothing going on, and you gotta have power on the on the dish network box too. So see you got you got eighteen remote controls that control eighteen different things and you gotta program this to get this to do and you got this to do over here and you got this to do over here. You gotta use the white one or the black one or the gray one or the green one or whatever. You gotta put tape on them so you know which one's which. But by golly we got the state of the art stuff going on here. Right? We were visiting Jeff and Misty before the baby was born. I mean, he's got four of these. They're, they're laying on the arm of the sofa. And four of them. I said, son, how do you turn the TV on? He said, well, Dad, you've got to touch this one first, then you go to this one, then you program this one in, then you get this one to come back. I said, I just want to watch TV. I didn't know I had to cook dinner to get TV to go. I said, what happens if you punch that button? He said, oh, it shuts everything down. That's all. Well, finally, one button that does all. Yeah, praise God. But Paul discovered that, that he was saved by grace. It, through his faith in Christ, he could better control his thoughts, his lust, his anxiety, his anger, his feelings of guilt. He didn't find a prison of things he couldn't do because he had accepted Christ. He actually found a freedom from knowing Christ that allowed him to sing while he was in prison. And because he knew all that would happen if people would just plug into what was available to them, he began to experience it himself. I heard a preacher one time say, we live beneath our privilege as Christians. That is so true. You can be free from everything. Guilt, the past, the past that haunts us. Release it. Let it go. Done. Over with. Letter to the Ephesians is a letter to Christians. It's a sermon. It's a message. Your actions in life have nothing to do with how you were saved. But Paul says, I urge you to walk in a way that's worthy of the calling that you've received. It's a letter to people who've already received the gift. If you've never received the gift and you try to plug these principles into play, it just won't work. You might feel better for a while. You might even see some positive results, kind of like a person who makes and keeps a New Year's resolution. They say that health products and weight loss products have their highest sales in the month of January. 
More people join health clubs and spas to work out. Here we go. And by February, they're still paying on the dues and never attending. Secondly, the way we walk is quickly and easily seen in the way we treat other people. Jump to Ephesians 4. I therefore, the, verses 1 through 3, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk worthy, uh, calling to receive with all humility and gentleness and patience, accepting one another in love, diligently keeping the unity of the Spirit for the peace that binds us. Paul lists qualities here. While his instruction to walk in a way that's worthy of his calling is still echoing in the air, he lists some qualities that we need to possess and, and, and show to people. Number one would be humility. Secondly would be gentleness. Third would be patience. Fourth would be bearing with one another. Boy, we need all these, by the way, all these six active in our life. Loving people. See, bearing with one another and loving people is important because not all of us are on the same plane in our walk with God. Now, we may have been Christians for 20, 30, 40, 50 years, but spiritually we're still way down here because we haven't either been taught how to get out of that level and go to another level, or we've refused to want to know how to go from this level to this level, or we've heard it and we've learned it and we studied it, but we never applied it, so we stay at this level. You wonder why you don't get promotions at work? It's because you don't. I love that commercial that's out and these people are discussing some guy's name and he's, he's, in, he's improved. Well, he's got a corner office now. Oh, that guy's a house of fire. He never stays late, never comes in early, but he outworks all of us. That's the key. They're all wondering why they're not getting promotions, why they're not getting corner offices. Well, it's because this guy's doing the work. He's getting her done. Can God look down from heaven and see us? His saved, his children, his Christians. Can he look down and see us? And are, are we doing his work? Are we getting it done? It's pretty simple. When you make an effort to live in a Christ-honoring manner, it immediately affects the people around you. Now, I'm not talking about carrying a big Bible and as soon as you see them, because that turns people off just as quickly as it turns them on. I'm not saying walk up to everybody and say, Do you know God? You saved? And that's an oversaved person. You ever heard of an oversaved person? I mean, everything, everything is about God, and they're down on you in damnation. Here we go. Hey, how you doing? Are you saved? Are you not saved? You're going to hell. You know that. Huh? Boy, you just want to hang around people like that, don't you? Boy, I got up today. I got a call. My, my, uh, my wife uh, uh, decided to leave. It's your fault, you know, because of the sin in your life. God's punishing you. Wow. Those people are oversaved, don't they? We need to get back. Where we love people. Somebody calls you and says, My wife's leaving me. Man, you need to you need to cry with them. They'll understand that when you cry with them. This this young boy, how old's Cameron? 15? 16? His mom and dad both gone. That's big time stuff, isn't it? Big time stuff. We need to pray for Miranda that God's will. Rise, raise her up beyond her years to say things to him, to be an encouragement. That's why he's got her in the place he is in this young man's life. The people around you are influenced by what you do. People you live with, people you work with, people you study with, you play with, you hang out with, they get more than you do. They get more honor. They get more prestige. They get more joy. They might even get more stuff, more money. It's a lifestyle, Christian lifestyle, that says you will be the servant and they will be served. 
it's great to be around people who don't promote themselves but promote everybody else. That's what I love about Coach Darlene and Coach Brad and Coach Bryant, Coach Rodney. They're not out there about them. They're out there to promote the young people that are, God has entrusted into them. That's why they don't walk around carrying their trophies around their neck. They could. They could. It's like the kid that came to Jinx before they built the big building at the end of the football stadium and asked Coach Trimble, he said, well, what do you got here to offer me that I should transfer here? He was some big stud from wherever. He said, what do you got to offer here for me? He said, well, those gold balls over there is about all I got. We won the championship if you come here. It's interesting how people think, isn't it? So they'll say, church, well, so what do you got for me? Have you got this big youth program? You know, my kids can get plugged in? Oh, yeah. Whew. Got every kid's school coming here. <laughs> kids have a tendency to go where their friends go. <laughs> you tend to go to church where your friends go to church. Oh. You tend to eat where your friends eat. Why does everybody go to Ron's? Because Ron's is there. Everybody goes to Ron's. You can sit in Ron's and find a friend. Come in. Cindy and Mark and I went to eat at Ron's the other day, and Donna Pat were in there. I immediately have friends in that, in that room. Hallelujah. And they came over and told Mark, since he's going back to college, he had to pay their bill. Boy, that worked. <laughs> and I was surprised. He grabbed it away and acted like he was going to pay for it. I thought, with what are you going to pay for that? You mean what? That's okay. Grab that bill and pay it for them. Isn't that fun? I like to do that occasionally. I'll be sitting in a restaurant even by myself, and I'll see a young family or something over there, and, I, and they're probably struggling in life, even if they're not. I tell the waitress to bring the tick over and let me take care of it. I don't want anybody to know. I just pay for it and leave. It's wonderful. you got to try that sometime. Reach out into them. But why is it that the lifestyle is so important? It's because you make sure that it happens that way. That they're promoted over you. You're a servant. They are served. And you know what's really fun? It's when you fill a house with people who've all made the decision to live in a manner that's worthy of the calling they've received. It's incredible. In a marriage, you've got a husband and a wife trying to outgive each other every day. Woo! That's a hot marriage. That's a marriage that's working. And both of them can't believe how good it is to be married to that person. I saw a wonderful movie last night. P.S. I Love You. Corey, is that the name of it? P.S. I Love You. If you haven't seen it, you go see it. Boy, I touch your heart. Some people say, that's a chick flick. Enjoy it yourself. I was sitting up there, tears just running down my face. Sure glad them tears are dark nobody can see. So when you're going out, then you go, oh, boy, something in my eye. Good, no, boy, some praise, praise God. You know, bit that macho, go, oh, man, you know. Yeah, get, yeah let it cry, man, let it cry. If you haven't seen it, go see it. Because that's a, that's a story. It's a great story. But you see, when we begin to outgive each other, when we begin to treat each other as a person to be served, and we're the servant, wow. That's what, what would happen in the church if it acted that way? Wow. When a church is filled with servants, servant leaders, Miracles happen. Last verse, Ephesians 3, 20 and 21. Now to him who is able to do above and 
beyond all that we ask or think according to the power that works in you to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever amen the only way this ever happens is it's best described and called spiritual maturity a young person is a young adult or a young adult and they can they can be a spiritually mature person an older person can still be a spiritual child still be horribly immature when it comes to caring about others and and their self and patience isn't a, as quickly or easily learned trait bearing with one another sometimes takes all the effort that you've got and the, only the strongest will pull it off and only the most committed will get it done I saw an army commercial the other day that said we're not looking for we're not looking for uh, applications we're looking for commitments some of you just fill out an application with the lord left a commitment at the door. Third thing, and I'm almost done, I promise. The Bible is making a challenge this morning. But no one alive knows the results of the challenge. Because number three is the way you walk is completely up to you. It's completely up to you. The choice of how you live is completely up to you. The circumstances around you, no matter how good, how bad, cannot control you. The way that you walk, the choices that you make, the choices you have to live is completely completely up to you a young wife named jennifer prayed this prayer lord i pray for wisdom to understand my man lord i pray for love to forgive him and oh lord i pray for patience to deal with his moods but oh lord i do not pray for strength for if you give me strength i'll beat him to death amen she's making choices isn't she she's laughing about the difficulties of getting used to marriage but and we can handle that but what a great thing it is when a person makes a choice to walk in a Christ-like way. What an incredible impact it makes. And you know what? The only person in the world who can make that decision for you is you. Is it hard? Is it terribly difficult? A married couple was celebrating their 60th wedding anniversary and at the party everyone wanted to know how they managed to stay married so long in this day and age. The husband responded, when we were first married, we came to an agreement. I would make all the major decisions and my wife would make all the minor decisions. At which point the wife took up the tale and in 60 years of marriage, we've never needed to make a major decision. Walking in a way that honors Christ may sound like a major decision to walk in a way worthy of your calling, but in a sense, this major decision is made with a long series, a lifetime of minor decisions. You just make them one decision at a time. One little step at a time. And pretty soon you're walking in a brand new way, right into a brand new year. I wouldn't want you to change by the end of January. By the end of December would be a more realistic goal. But to see you change would be great. Maybe it's in the area of tithing. You've never tithed before. Well, I just can't do 10%. Great, do one. Do two. Do five. Do something. But to sit and stay the same, there's no difference. In your bulletin was the brochure. You can count on me. It'd be the last Sunday you see that for a while. We've had several turned in, and I appreciate all those that have been turned in. The deacons are looking for ministry team members. 
would you just take a moment and fill that out and uh, turn it in to me at the, uh, as you leave or leave it, on, leave it on the chair and we'll pick it up whatever is comfortable for you to do but the essence of walking a walk worthy of the calling that God's called us to is that you increase your involvement in the things of God in this place among these people Father I thank you for this time thank you for these that are here and Father, I pray especially today that they will be ever so close to you. And Father, they will find within you a willingness, a desire to deepen that walk. You want to come in, you want to do more, but we have to let you. And Father, we may believe we've stubbed our toes enough to where you, you really can't help us anymore. Farthest from the truth. That's a lie of Satan that he's perpetrated for centuries. He tried to get Jesus to believe that God didn't care about him and that what he was going to do on the cross would have been of little effect and who would really care and who would really listen. But Father, 12 men listened and the world's been never been the same. May we at River Oaks champion that message. May we at River Oaks walk in a new way, in a different way in 2008. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.